Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, it's great to be back with you. Um, I have been on the road a little bit. And in fact, I want to get you caught up a little bit and just fill you in on some stuff that I was able to be a part of with some leaders here from Salem Alliance. If you've been coming to Salem Alliance for any length of time, you probably are aware that we have uh, a pretty significant investment in what God is doing in the Middle East. Uh, we're, we're involved in all parts of the world, but uh, we have a significant partnership there. And um, Rod Pepping, who's our outreach pastor, and myself and, and several leaders from St. Alliance went to check in on some of that work in the Middle East, uh, places like Iraq, places like Jordan. We also have uh, things happening in Lebanon and Palestine, uh, but didn't, uh, didn't hit those two countries. Um, but I want to just fill you in on this, this one uh, ministry that's happening up by the Syrian border. You're, you're probably aware of the five-year, you know, five-plus-year war that's taking place in Syria and all the destruction and the, the havoc that's being created by that war, and you're probably aware of the refugee situation. Um, we drove up to the Syrian border. Here's a picture of a, of a road sign. I kind of like to take pictures of road signs. They have some unique names on them. There's Go right to Iraq, Saudi, uh, and Syria, and Al-Mufraq. And Mufraq was the city that we were headed to. Um, and in the city of Mufraq, there's this church. Um, it is a, a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, CMA. That is, part, that is the name of the movement that we're associated with. Um, so uh, this, this church is right there on the border and uh, really in the middle of all that's happening right now in this uh, Syrian refugee crisis. They, they are meeting with refugees, providing simple things like mattresses and heaters and food items uh, for folks who are, are fleeing the war and, and making their way to a refugee camp and then out of a refugee camp, which is a whole other process uh, that I don't have time to go into, but it's, it's not an easy thing getting out of a refugee camp. Uh, but this church is doing significant ministry there, and they're also, they started a school for elementary kids, uh, for Syrian elementary kids, uh, kids of refugees. Here's a picture of, uh, this is a bulletin board as we walked into this school. Uh, these kids have seen more, uh, they've experienced more trauma than ever any kid should ever have to experience. Many of them have lost both parents. Uh, quite a few have lost at least one parent, or they've watched neighbors die, or they've, they've, been, they've seen the war take place. And a place like a school can be a, a sense of normalcy can be gifted to them by going to school. The church in Mufrak has purchased a, a seven-bedroom, nine-bathroom home. Don't even ask me why someone built a seven-bedroom, nine-bathroom home, but apparently someone liked a lot of bedrooms and a lot of bathrooms, and it worked out great for us uh, because the house has been remodeled and kids are now in classes. Here's a picture of a classroom that we got to slip into and uh, took some pictures of kids that are uh, they're taking math classes and science classes and some language classes. And um, so that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a blessing. Here, here the kids are getting ready to go home. Uh, we got to stand outside there with them and they did some chants and some singing and they have their backpacks and they're going home. And when I say they're going home from school, they don't think like going home from a school in Salem and Kaiser to a, to a house. Many of them are going back home to tents, uh, tents provided by United Nations. And um, they, they are, um, that their world has been turned upside down. Now here's where you come in. 
A little over a year ago, um, because of your generosity, we were, we were able to send a gift to this church, and in particular to this school, in caring for refugees. And uh, because of your generosity, we were able to purchase a playground for the, these kids uh, to play on. So here's a picture of the playground um, that we purchased. You can see kind of the, the shade uh, stuff over them to kind of keep the sun off of them. There's no kids on the playground on this day because uh, right next to the playground, they're putting in this AstroTurf soccer field. Um, it's, you know, it's not full size, but it's fairly large. And, uh, and th this, again, you got the shade paneling. And you actually have lights so they can play at night. Uh, which is, there's nothing like it anywhere near the Syrian border, uh, a soccer pitch for kids to, to play on. And because of your generosity, Sam Lyons, these kids who have experienced more trauma than they should ever have to experience get some normalcy of school, get a playground to play on, and get a soccer field uh, to kick a ball around. And that is a huge, huge gift to them. And you really should give yourself a round of applause for your generosity in making that happen. I took a quick picture of these kids, and they thank you as well. They were climbing all over us, and uh, it, was, um, it was really a, a moving, um, moving time being there. Standing on the roof of that, that uh, particular school, you can see into Syria. You can see the, uh, the, the refugee camp where uh, over 100,000 people are, are waiting for a place to live, having been uprooted uh, from their homes in, in Syria. Our team, after uh, bouncing around quite a bit there in the Middle East, we got back just before Thanksgiving. And speaking of Thanksgiving, uh, you gave uh, over 12,000 pounds of food uh, to our community. Uh, not that we're counting, but 3,000 more pounds than the previous year. So thank you for that, uh, that, that generosity. Um, you also gave over $16,000 to help start up our refugee ministry here at Salem Alliance. This was unplanned, an unplanned opportunity. Uh, we didn't budget for it, and you heard from Doug and Anya Holcomb. Some of you read about them in the paper this, this past week. As they're launching uh, this, this uh, ministry, you gave over $16,000 to that. It provides direct care for refugees as well as is a catalyst for, for uh, an organization we're starting called Salem for Refugees, which involves uh, nonprofits and organizations and other churches. It's gonna take, take a lot of people involved in this as we care for those who are coming to us from the nations. So um, thanks for that. And also want to let you know that we have a Christmas offering coming up. And it also is targeted to, uh, to, to refugees. When refugees come to a new country, and think about this, you're uprooted from your home, you're, you're, you go to a new country, you have no idea how to do life in that country, you don't even speak the language, um, there are a lot of needs, and we feel like we need to offer a practical way to sort of meet the need. It won't, won't, won't meet the whole need, but we're starting a, a new business, a social business called Sparrow Furniture. Which will, which will take old furniture and repurpose it in, our, in the business goal. It's a social business, meaning it's a business that has a social impact. Um, it, the goal of the business is to employ refugees. And so our Christmas offering is to provide some startup funds for this, uh, this Sparrow Furniture Endeavor. In fact, I'm going to show you a quick uh, video here, a three-minute video. It gives a little more information on refugees. And you'll hear from Luke, who is our Browby Coffee House manager, as he talks about uh, this new business that we're, uh, we're planning to start over in the Aramark building. So enjoy this video. Refugees. Currently, 60 million people are displaced and around 20 million are officially registered as refugees. After fleeing from violence, persecution and economic hardship, refugees are registered at camps in the surrounding countries. 
Generally, refugees have to wait for years in camps, hoping to be resettled or to be able to return home. The average wait is six to 10 years. During that time, refugees go through a long and difficult screening process before getting a chance to resettle in the USA. Historically, refugees assigned to Oregon have been resettled in Portland. However, due to rising housing costs, resettlement agencies have started relocating some of the efforts to Salem. When refugees finally arrive, they are provided with only basic support over the first three to six months. One of the main goals of the resettlement effort is rapid employment, but refugees struggle to find meaningful work with upward potential due to language barriers, relevant job skills, and work history in the United States. So my name is Luke, and uh, I recently returned to Salem after working in the Middle East for about six years. While I was there, I was working with a social business and, and helping people in need in the community. And when we returned to Salem, I would have no idea that refugees would be coming and moving into the same area. While working at Broadway Coffee House, I had the opportunity to attend one of the first meetings for refugees uh, moving into our area. And my heart was just burdened by the need of the people and how I could be involved. And I, I thought, you know, how can I use my business background and, and my passion for helping people to really make a difference with this issue? So after giving it some thought, I presented it to the church and they were excited to jump on board using resources of the church like the Airmark building, business acumen, and key volunteers, we could create a self-sustaining business with a social impact. So the concept of Sparrow Furniture was birthed from this arising need in our community for meaningful employment for these new neighbors. The business will focus on repurposing, refinishing furniture, things like lighting and decor. One of our goals is to tell the story of our employees and our work. The way that we're going to do that is by infusing cultural components into the process. Things like henna, African fabrics, Arabic script, and we hope that by doing that we'll create truly unique pieces. So initially we'll start selling during periodic sales events and we'll eventually open a showroom on Broadway Street in Salem. Our goal will be to provide initial employment that refugees desperately need. And after one to two years of experience, English development and job skills training, we will help those employees find career jobs within our community. So that's what our Christmas offering is going to. So you're going to hear more about that in this month. And uh, we're just really excited about this opportunity God has given to us as we just follow his lead in bringing peace uh, to our city and uh, having an impact around the world. All right, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for that. Starting a new series this, this as Christmas season, the Advent season, so if you want to get your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we are calling this series Epiphany. Um, I have a box here, and in this box, uh, there's, there's something. Uh, any, any kids in the room? We got kids in the room? Can you guess what's in here? I'll shake it for you. Any guesses? A book? Legos, yeah, that, man, that would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, somebody last night guessed a rolling pin, which would have been an awful Christmas gift from my perspective. Uh, but in this box is not something but someone, and uh, I think you'll know who he is. It's uh, Buzz Lightyear, yeah, uh, Buzz Lightyear. Uh, have you, anyone watched the movie Toy Story? Seen that movie? Okay, so a lot of you have seen the movie. 
Toy Story is a, a Buzz is a main character in the movie Toy Story. He is the newest toy that's given to Andy. And uh, he has some best friends, Woody, and there's other uh, friends. And Buzz, he's pretty, he's pretty high himself. He, he believes he's a member of Star Command. He believes that his call is to save the world from the, the evil Emperor Zerg. Um, he believes that he can, fly, he can fly, although his friends are telling him he can't fly. And uh, they're, they're trying to tell him he's just a toy, but um, he doesn't believe it. He has a very famous saying, and you, you know what it's... Yet he says it a lot more gusto than that. I mean, come on. There you go. Awesome. Awesome. Who knew? Uh, so that's what he says. And, but here's the deal. Buzz has this moment, this, this eye-opening moment, this awakening moment, this sudden realization he catches a commercial on TV. He thinks he's unique. He thinks he's one of a kind. He thinks he's the savior of the world. And then he sees this commercial and he realizes that he's not unique. He's not just one. There actually are hundreds of Buzz Lightyears. Uh, Al's toy barn is showing this commercial. But here's the dagger in his heart. He sees this banner on the TV screen that says, not a flying toy. Now, this is an eye-opening moment for him because Buzz still doesn't believe it. What Buzz does, if you've seen the movie, he, he goes and he stands on the railing of a staircase and he deploys his, his wings. And in, in the movie, you see this window and you see this bird in slow motion kind of flying by and Buzz jumps off the staircase and it looks like he's flying and then he comes crashing down and hits the concrete and the camera kind of zooms in on Buzz as he's laying there on the concrete floor and this, this, there's this look of disillusionment that comes over his face. This, these heavy clouds of depression actually come over Buzz in this movie. He has an epiphany, a sudden revelation. This is a sudden eye-opening moment that he isn't quite, he isn't the person he, he quite thought he was. And epiphanies can do that to you. They, they can re, you might think more highly of yourself than you should, and sometimes there's a moment where you realize your humanity. You realize just how human you are, and, and Buzz has that moment, but then Buzz is stirred. His passions are stirred again because his good friend Woody explains to him but there is this kid who is absolutely crazy about him. Uh, his name is Andy, and, and Woody shows him the bottom of his shoe and shows him that he's got this kid's name on, on the bottom of his shoe, and Buzz looks on the bottom of his shoe, and sure enough, he's got the name Andy written on the bottom of his shoe. And knowing who he belongs to and knowing that he's separated from his owner, this, this sparks this new courage to embrace this new purpose, to be reunited with the person that he belongs to, which is a whole nother sermon. But that, that is a, that's, that's the story of a buzz. He has an epiphany. He has an epiphany that he's not quite what he thought he was. And he has this epiphany. Where's my two, two infinity and beyond kid? Come on up here. I, I want to. Here. It comes with a laser. I said it from stun to kill. Stun. <laughs> Taking it back. There you go, buddy. Take that. All right. See, adults, you missed out. I mean, you had your moment there. 
Um, so, so Buzz has this moment where he has this epiphany where he, he, he thought he was something pretty great and he realized there's a sudden realization that he wasn't that great. Then he has this moment where he thinks he's, he's, got, he's got no purpose and he has this epiphany and suddenly he has purpose. This series that we're going into called uh, Epiphany is, is, is about that. It's epiphany, we'll put the definition up here. Epiphany is a moment of sudden, sudden revelation or insight. And, and here's, here's the deal, in this, in this series, we have been praying for you, there's a team that's been praying for you, that during this Advent season, that God would give you one of those moments, one of those sudden, sudden revelations, a moment of insight in which he would reveal himself to you in a way that you have not discovered him before. That uh, you would reveal himself to you in a way that you, that you see him in, 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 in greater uh, understanding, and that just would just cause you to glorify him even more, that you would see him and see his heart for you. You're, our prayer is that during this season, maybe it's during a sermon, maybe it's in a song that we're singing, maybe it's during the routine of your work week or what you got going on during the week, that God would open your eyes and he'd reveal himself to you. That is our prayer for you in this season. So pay attention, be expectant. And as we go through this series, what we're going to do is just enter into the story. So if you do have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 1 if you haven't already. Luke 1 on page 1610 in the Pew Bible. If you didn't bring one with you, this one looks just like this. Uh, and, and would love for you to follow along. You can do it on your iPad. You can do it on your iPhone. Hold each other accountable. Make sure you're not like doing Clash of Clans or you know, uh, Madden NFL. But... Um, Follow along with us because in this story, we're going to start in the beginning of the story in Luke chapter 1. And this story is part of the Christmas story and it happens months before a baby is born in a manger. And I just want to show you just these four, there's like four aha moments that pop out for us as we enter into the Advent story. Four epiphanies that I think will have the potential to impact our lives. So Luke 1, chapter 1, verse, I mean, ver, chapter 1, verse 1 says, Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Uh, quick pause in the story here. Theophilus is a friend of Luke. Luke, see Luke is sort of like an investigative journalist. He's a doctor. Facts and data are very important to him. So when you read the gospel that he's written, you'll get uh, geographical locations and names of leaders. And it's almost as if he's inviting you to fact check him. Check it out for yourself. This is what's happening. This is when it was happening. And he's writing to a friend so that he can be certain of the truth about Jesus. Verse five, it says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. We'll stop the story there because it's in that first section that we have our first epiphany. Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, we get a little bit of their resume. Zechariah is a priest. He's clergy. He's a man of the cloth. And, 
and uh, he, he's from the priestly division of Abijah. This is a this is a big name. So this is like you know way back my you know my great grandfather, my great 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 grandfather. This is a big name, and his name is Abijah, and I'm connected to him. And then his wife's name is Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is also connected to a big name. That name is Aaron. In fact, the entire priestly division comes out of Aaron. And so what Luke is doing for us at the very beginning is how he's dropping names. This is a look how impressive their their credentials are or their resume is. And uh, you know, you kind of get a feel for this. In, in, in the NFL, if you have last name Manning, that, that, I mean that, wow, you're, you're gonna be good because it runs through your blood. Um, social media, technology, if you have the last name Jobs or Gates or Zuckerberg, I mean, you're, you're, that's, I mean that's saying something and that's what's going on here in chapter one of Luke. Zechariah, Abijah, is from the, he's from that priestly division. Elizabeth, his wife, is, is the fall of the family tree back to Aaron. She's a descendant of Aaron, and Aaron is the father of the priestly uh, lines. And then he goes on farther to say that they were righteous in God's eyes. Now, it, it's, it's one thing to be righteous in your neighbor's eyes or your co-worker's eyes, um, but to be righteous in God's eyes is righteous. From God's perspective, to say that these two are righteous, that, that's saying quite a bit. And yet Luke goes even farther to say that they were careful to obey all the commandments and the regulations given by God. So this is a quality couple. They've got an impressive heritage, an impressive resume, and they're living life impressively. And then you get to verse 7, and verse 7 doesn't quite really fit here because in the first century Jews' mind, this would have been a moment, you know, kind of the, the needle scratching across the vinyl on the record kind of moment. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Others of you know very well what I'm talking about, right? It's a screeching moment like, What? Wait a minute, great resume, living a God, godly life, how could something bad be happening? Now, they're going through infertility, actually they've gone through infertility because now, now they're old. A little bit later on, what you're gonna hear is you're gonna hear Zechariah say, I'm old, and he's a very wise man, he says, he doesn't call his wife old, he says, and my wife is well along in years, very smart. <laughs> They're past the, they're old. I mean, they got, they got a spot at Capitol Manor. This is an older couple, all right? And, and, and they've got a great resume, and they've lived a godly life, but this screeching moment of, but they, they don't have children? Now, infertility, the pain, the aching disappointment of infertility transcends all time and cultures. It's, some of you know very well this pain. Some of you are there right now. So, some of you um, waited a long time maybe to have a child. Some of you just, it, you never had a child. You know that pain better than anyone else in the room. Zechariah and Elizabeth not only experienced that pain, but uh, William Barclay in his commentary of the book of Luke helps us understand the social stigma attached to barrenness in, in their day. Barclay writes, the Jewish rabbis said that there were seven people that were excommunicated from God. And their list began, number one, a Jew who has no wife. Number two, a Jew who has a wife and has no child. 
He would go on to say, in Zechariah and Elizabeth's day, childlessness was grounds for divorce. Not only was Elizabeth barren, nature's planned obsolescence had taken its course and there was no hope. The spotted old worn hands would never hold a child. Friends, here's our first epiphany. It'll be on the screen behind me. It's simply this. Impeccable heritage and impressive credentials do not translate to a pain-free life. Yet, there's that nagging voice in our heads when life doesn't go well. When a son goes sideways, a relationship comes to an end, a diagnosis is given, and you wonder, did I do something wrong? Is this happening because I did something wrong? And we often go here. In fact, culture uses a word that reinforces this. They use the word karma. You, you get what's coming to you. And there's this idea that if life is not going well, and don't hear me, that, yeah, there are natural consequences to our choices. And sometimes those are in play. But oftentimes what happens is when negative circumstances begin to take play in our life, one of the things we go to is I must have done something wrong. Friends, take heart from the Christmas story. Impeccable heritage and impressive credentials don't necessarily translate into a pain-free life. It wasn't the case for Zechariah and Elizabeth, and that was shocking in their day. And I think even for us, we struggle with that notion. Now let's pick up the story again in verse eight because it continues. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order a priest was on duty that week. Uh, quick pause here. There were thousands of priests and um, the privilege of serving in the temple was then there's this casting of lots and a priest that could be just one moment they get to serve in the temple and they would have looked forward to that, that moment all their lives. So verse nine, as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of of the godly, may it be so. Now, here's our second epiphany. It actually comes right from the very beginning. I mean, Zechariah, he's, he, the lot's cast uh, in his way. He goes in the temple, and he's in the temple, and uh, he sees an angel. And the angel startles him, just like, just like an angel would startle you and I. And the angel, the, the epiphany comes in the very first words that the angel says to Zechariah. Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give birth to a son and you are to name him John. Here's my question. Is Zechariah still praying that prayer? He's old. His wife is well along in years. I mean, there's some mileage on the tires. Is he still praying for a child? 
I mean, nature's planned obsolescence is in full force here. Uh, is he still praying this? Because, I mean, the, the angel said, your prayers have been heard, Zechariah. I... I I think not. I, I think there was a season. I think there was a season when he prayed with a lot of passion and zeal that Zechariah and Elizabeth begged God for a child because not only the, just, just to solve that aching disappointment, to heal that aching disappointment, that pain they were experiencing in their hearts, but also because of the social, uh, social stigma that, that was there as well. I think there was a, a season in which he, they, they prayed with passion and zeal, but I think that season ended Sometimes we pray and God just answers. I mean, whammo, the prayer is answered. It happens so quickly. It happens a lot of times for, for new believers. Sometimes you pray and you have to persevere in prayer. And you persevere for some weeks, maybe a month, and God answers that prayer. Sometimes you persevere in prayer for weeks and months and then you, you, you add fasting. And, you're, and for months, maybe even over a year, you're, you're praying about something and God answers. And sometimes you pray and you fast and you persevere and it seems like the answer is no. I think Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, I don't think, I mean, are they still praying that prayer? Here's another question. Are, are they still, do you know? And there's kids in the room. I mean, they're old. Um, I, when I was younger, I, I went in my grandparents' apartment and went into their bedroom no, no. I went in their bed, and there was two twin beds. And I was like, whoa, Grandma and Grandpa have two twin beds. They don't sleep in the same bed? Do Zechariah and Elizabeth have two twin beds? Are they still praying this prayer? I don't think so. Friends, here's the epiphany. Here's the sudden revelation and insight. It's simply this. God answers prayers that you are not praying anymore. There was a season in which you prayed for something. You prayed with passion and zeal for something. Maybe it's for someone who didn't know Christ. Maybe it's for a family member. Maybe it was for whatever it is. You prayed with passion and zeal. You persevered. You fasted. You prayed. And then the passion and the zeal waned. And I want you to know this morning that those prayers count. God has heard your prayers, and, and, and may, maybe the answer is no, or maybe he's waiting for a moment when that prayer will be answered in such a way that his glory, his majesty, his supremacy will be revealed in a way that just, just exalts him in, in, in ways that it wouldn't have happened had he answered that prayer like that. Your prayers have been heard, Zechariah. Elizabeth will give birth to a son. Let's pick up the story in verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. And soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. 
and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Here's our third epiphany. It's simply, it's simply this. I mean, Zechariah goes, he goes into the, uh, in the temple, sees the angel. The angel says, you're gonna have a son. And his response is, that, that's not possible. I'm old and my wife is well along in years. And Gabriel says, dude, don't you get it? He doesn't say dude, but you kind of feel the emphasis. Don't you understand? I stand next to God and he gave me this message to give to you. But because you don't believe, you will be silent and unable to speak. Here's, here's the epiphany. Unbelief will rob you. It will rob you of joy. See, here's the thing. Zechariah, he, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment, and the, the, the joy for him is when the priest comes out of the temple, he, he's gonna pronounce a blessing and a benediction, and he's been waiting for years for this moment. Believe me, he's got his blessing written. And not only is he robbed of being able to give that blessing and benediction, he's robbed of the joy of retelling the encounter with the angel in the temple. He can't, he can't vocalize to his wife what is about to happen. Unbelief will rob you. Now, here's the thing. This is kind of a perplexing moment for me because I look at this and I go, wait a minute. I mean, this guy's like, this is like an impossibility. And God, he, he doesn't believe and, and you, bam, he can't speak. And that seems like kind of sudden because if you look at other characters in the Bible, I mean, guys like Gideon, he didn't believe right away. He's like, I got this fleece, I'm gonna put it on the ground, make the ground wet, make the fleece dry. Yep, you did that, okay, I just check in here because I'm, I'm, I'm in with you, God, but make the fleece wet, make the ground dry, God does that, and, and he's in. Moses, he throws a staff on the ground, turns into a snake, he grabs the tail of the snake, turns into a staff, his hand has leprosy, puts it in his coat, pulls it out, he's healed. Uh, they're in. Zechariah doesn't get any of that. He's like, I'm old. My, my wife, she's, she's mileage on the tires. How's, how's this gonna happen? And wham, he, he can't speak. What's going on here? Well, I don't know for sure, but I think sometimes we can ask for signs or we can find ourselves in a place where we ask for signs from, from faith, from little faith, or we can actually ask for signs from unbelief or fear. Think of it this way. Um, I do a lot of weddings. There's a point in the wedding where people exchange rings as a sign of the marriage covenant. It's a reminder to them of their vows. It's a reminder to them that they are taken and a reminder to others that they are taken. And, and the rings are given not, they're, they're given because there's expectation that the person's gonna fulfill the vows and it's a reminder of that and there's all kinds of joy. And, and a recent wedding I was doing was like stunned, but you know, the, the bride-to-be is stunned because of the, of the ring, it's so beautiful. And uh, compare that to a prenup, which is a sign. I mean, it's a, it, if things don't, you don't hold your, you know, you don't keep your word, then this happens and that happens and, and you've got that guarantee for you. Both are signs, but can you feel the difference? I think maybe what's going on here is in the other cases, there was a little bit of faith and, and God was adding to it, but with, with Zechariah, there must have been total unbelief. In fact, that's what the angel says to him. You didn't believe. It's like, uh-uh, that can't happen. And I don't think God is saying it's wrong to ask questions, it's wrong to have doubts. I don't think God is even going there. I think what God is, is simply saying is that, that unbelief will rob you. Skepticism, cynicism, that prove it to me God attitude will actually rob you of discovering who God is and what he, what he wants to do in you and through you. And in this case, 
it robs Zechariah of some significant joy. Let's just wrap up the story. I'm gonna pick it up in verse 57. We'll capture the end of it here. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son, and when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony, which kind of cracks me up. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed? There's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him, which is kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, he can't speak. Why are they making hand gestures to him? Unless he's also deaf. He's unable to speak, unable to hear. People are making hand gestures to him. Verse 63, he motioned for a writing tablet and to everyone's surprise, he wrote... His name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? Some of your parents asked that about you, but that was different. (laughs) What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Here's our last epiphany. Failure does not disqualify you. Your personal, Zechariah had significant personal failure. He did not believe. He was at that moment, an angel from the throne of God came to him and gave him this news. He didn't believe. It was a moment of of, of failure, yet it it wasn't the end of God using, God trusted him with his son named John, who would be John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for Jesus. And his failure did not disqualify him. Yet, here's the deal, we live in a culture that hones in on how we don't measure up, and they they look right past all the good things, all the great accomplishments that you and I might have, the achievements that you've created, you've done or you've created, and, and, and we hone in on people's failures. Lily Baltrip was a school bus driver uh, in, in Texas, multiple years of safe driving. She's going to her award ceremony where she's going to be given a gift and an award. She's got members of the school district in her bus. She's got peers in her bus. She goes around a corner. Her foot's a little heavy on the, on the accelerator. The bus flips over. 16 of her peers go to the hospital with minor injuries. And to add insult to injury, her safe driving award was stripped from her. This is the culture in which we live. This is the world in which we live. Friends, can I just say to you, in this Christmas season, failure does not disqualify you with God. And here's the great news about the the coming of our Savior. God did not send his son, God did not send his son to give us what we deserve. He sent his son to give us what we don't deserve. They don't hold this verse up in the end zone. John 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3, 16 is a great verse too. For God so loved the world. That was the motive. That was the heart behind Christmas morning and a baby being born in a manger. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Your failure. You see, some of you are like, well, I, I'd love to think that God could use me, but you know, I'm divorced. 
I'd love to think that God could use me, but I, <laughs> I got this addiction. I'd love to think that God could use me, but you know, I had an abortion. I'd love, to, I'd love to think that God could use me, but <laughs> you don't know my record. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I do know. I know that Moses was a murderer and God used him to deliver the people of Israel from, from Egypt. I know that Paul, he, he was a mess. I mean, Peter, it's, it's almost, I'm not saying this, but it's almost like the, the bigger the mess you've made, it's like God's like, I can use that person. I think that was an amen. Because that, it's the truth. Friends, failure does not disqualify you. You're, you're, not, you're not benched. You're not benched by God. And that is the experience that Zechariah would have as he would raise a son in his old age. Now, let's just process this a little bit. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to help you have a conversation with God. You could begin it by just saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me today? Might have something to do with the pain you're enduring. Might have something to do about prayers that you've prayed in the past. Could be something about the cynicism you brought with you today. could be about that regret that you thought would limit you. Jesus, what are you saying to us today? Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.